Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Interest rates in the UK have been rising at a rapid rate. And as we saw this March, when a number of US regional banks collapsed, rising interest rates can have a severe impact. In many countries like the United States, where the majority of my viewers live, long-term fixed-rate mortgages are standard, where borrowers lock in an interest rate for decades, typically 15 or 30 years. In the UK, what they call a fixed-rate mortgage is really just an adjustable-rate mortgage, where the interest rate has been locked in for the first two or five years. At the end of that time, borrowers usually refinance their mortgages again to lock in a new stable rate for the next few years. They can, of course, just stick with their mortgage, which will have flipped to a floating rate. The reason for this different structure is that the British mortgage industry has traditionally been dominated by building societies whose funding must be at least 50% deposits. Deposits are floating rate and can be withdrawn at any point in time, and so building societies prefer issuing variable rate mortgages to reduce asset liability mismatch. In the US, the mortgage sector really only functions the way it does with long-term fixed-rate mortgages, not because of free markets, but due to a long tradition of government support for mortgage lending through funding Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Inflation has been more persistent in the UK than in many peer nations. The UK inflation rate, which was announced earlier this week, remained stuck at 8.7% for May, worse than the 8.4% that was expected. This compares to 6% in France, 6.3% in Germany, 7.1% across the whole of the EU, and 2.7% in the United States, using the most comparable measures. There was no good news to be found by digging deeper into the inflation numbers either, where core inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, rose in May to 7.1% from 6.8% the previous month. This was the highest rate in more than 30 years. Wednesday's data release marked the fourth month in a row that price rises have exceeded forecasts, putting pressure on the Bank of England to increase interest rates. This Monday, the two-year fixed-rate mortgage rate rose above 6% in the UK, the highest rate since December during the panic over Liz Truss's infamous mini-budget. Rates on buy-to-let mortgages rose even faster than those on residential deals, with the average two-year fixed rate jumping from 6.21% on Friday to 6.3% on Monday this week. Yesterday, the Bank of England stepped up its fight against persistent inflation with a surprise half-point interest rate hike to 5%, the highest level since 2008. This was the 13th consecutive interest rate hike, defying most economists' expectation of a quarter-point increase. 
Speaking after the rate hike announcement, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey warned, if we don't raise rates now, it could be worse later. He said he knew the rate rise would be hard and that many people with mortgages or loans will be understandably worried about what this means for them. But inflation is still too high and we've got to deal with it. In a letter to the Chancellor explaining the decision, Mr. Bailey said, bringing inflation down is our absolute priority. The Bank of England's actions will lead to higher repayments for mortgage holders, but it should benefit savers if the interest rate rise is passed on. According to Late Khalif at AJ Bell, the bank has to choose between pushing mortgage borrowers to the brink or letting inflation run riot. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt said that the Bank of England has my full support. The government's commitment to the 2% inflation target is ironclad and tackling inflation relentlessly must be the immediate priority. The Telegraph newspaper managed to highlight the difficulties brought about by higher mortgage rates with possibly the least sympathetic example possible last weekend. They described a startup founder who borrowed over £5 million at a variable rate of 1.89%, who described himself as more financially literate than a layman. He was shocked to see his monthly mortgage payment balloon from £8,300 per month to over £20,000 per month. Don't worry though, everything worked out for him. He sold his startup. I can tell that you guys were worried. The same article described another woman who decided not to lock in her interest rate at 1.1% for 10 years because she didn't want to feel tied down. She has since refinanced at 5.63% with a one-year fix. The comment section of that article is of course filled with boomers unable to restrain their scorn. They describe how mortgage rates were regularly above 10% in the 1970s and 80s and how they somehow managed to get by. But of course they didn't have the added expenses of Starbucks and Netflix. No really, that is one of the comments. Luckily there was no mention of avocado toast as I know that that can really trigger millennials. Former politician Edwina Curry tweeted, All the baby boomers who are now mortgage-free homeowners went through paying interest rates three times what they are now. 16% was normal. We didn't have much choice, but homeownership rocketed and we survived. And that of course does make sense, except that 6% of a big number can amount to more than 16% of a small number. I'm not trying to beat up on Edwina. Mathematics isn't for everyone. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has demanded that banks protect borrowers from surging interest rates, and Labour Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves has similarly demanded that the government should force banks to help homeowners struggling with mortgage payments. The problem with these demands is that you can't reasonably expect banks to lend to people at a lower interest rate than they themselves are borrowing at. I guess people love interest rates when they're falling and pushing up asset prices and then feel that something needs to be done about them when they're rising. The Guardian newspaper, who are now pulling out their hair over how awful it is that homeowners are being squeezed with high interest rates, 
wrote a piece a few years ago criticizing the idea of long-term fixed-rate mortgages because those who had selected them in the past had done worse when interest rates had continued to fall. In the UK, mortgage rates began rising at the end of 2021. They went from 2% to 4% in less than a year, and now a two-year fixed-rate mortgage is above 6%. The interest rate a new borrower would pay on their mortgage has pretty much tripled in less than two years. While mortgage interest rates were much higher in the 1970s and 80s, house prices were a lot lower back then too. House prices went up as interest rates fell, as lower interest rates meant that an average earner could buy more house with the same monthly payment. Back in the era of double-digit interest rates, after coming up with a down payment, people typically borrowed two times their annual income. Today, British home buyers borrow three and a half to four and a half times their annual income, which has been affordable because rates were low. The change may not sound huge, but homeowners today are much more exposed to interest rates than they were in the past. And 6% today is the equivalent of 13% back then, when you look at monthly mortgage payments as a percentage of income. Inflation was much higher in the 70s and 80s, but at the time earnings were rising quite rapidly along with inflation, so the principal owed on mortgages shrank as a percentage of borrower incomes. When inflation was brought under control, people were able to pay off their outstanding mortgages much easier with their new higher incomes. So what about rent? As rates have gone up, mortgage payments have been hitting 25 to 30% of gross incomes. Private renters in the UK will have very little sympathy for this, as they have on average been spending 30% of their gross incomes on rent for the last decade, while homeowners have had very low monthly payments due to the unusually low interest rates. Renters are by no means off the hook in this situation. Annual rental prices in the UK rose 5% in May, the highest increase in seven years, putting renters under further financial strain. Rent rises were most severe in London, where they grew 5.1% according to the Office for National Statistics on Wednesday this week. London rents did fall between 2020 and 2022, though, as people moved out of the city to save money during the pandemic. While British renters are struggling, some new landlords have been struggling too. A lot of private landlords began exiting the rental business in the UK after George Osborne's Financial Act began phasing out mortgage interest relief and other tax-deductible costs for landlords. Buy-to-let landlords typically borrow at higher interest rates and are usually more sensitive to interest rate increases since they often take out interest-only mortgages. With an interest-only mortgage, monthly payments rise more sharply when interest rates go up. So if we adjust for monthly mortgage payments as a percentage of income, how does the present day compare to other points in history? Well, it's worse today than it was in 2007, but the situation was much harder from 1988 to 1989 when interest rates peaked. 
The question, of course, remains how much higher might interest rates go in the coming years. The Monetary Policy Committee made little comment on market expectations that interest rates would rise by an additional 1% by the end of the year. Instead, the committee reiterated its previous commitment to tighten monetary policy further if there were to be evidence of more persistent pressures. The Bank of England has expressed concern that wages and prices are rising in tandem, making inflation harder to eradicate. In the minutes of the MPC meeting, the seven members who voted for the large increase pointed in particular to inflation data and labour market figures over the past six weeks that had been significantly worse than they had forecast in early May. The latest annual regular wage growth of 7.2% was far above the level that the BOE believes is consistent with meeting its 2% inflation target. With productivity growing at best at 1% a year, wage growth would need to drop to around 3% before the Bank of England feels comfortable with persistent inflationary pressures. The Bank of England say that they expect inflation to fall significantly over the rest of the year, noting that second round effects in domestic price and wage developments generated by external cost shocks are likely to take longer to unwind than they did to emerge. The fact that British mortgages are all essentially variable rate mortgages means that the Bank of England has more power than the Federal Reserve does to rapidly affect the economy. An interest rate hike in the UK quickly takes money out of people's pockets, meaning that they have less to spend on other goods, slowing the economy and slowing inflation. Inflation in the UK has climbed faster and been more persistent than in the US and EU. Some, including the former governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, claim that Brexit may be partially to blame. Singling out the impact of Brexit isn't easy, especially with the effects of a pandemic and a war, but researchers at the London School of Economics claim that there is evidence that the red tape required to bring goods into the country since Brexit may have played a part, having added £250 in total to the typical household's grocery shopping bills between December 2019 and March 2023. Even with that impact, academics at Oxford Economics believe that food is still 7% cheaper in the UK than on average in the EU, and official statistics show a smaller part of spending in the UK goes on food than in France or Germany. There are more post-Brexit import checks and formalities on items being brought into the UK to be phased in in the beginning of October after they were postponed during the pandemic, so more inflation on that front may be in the pipelines. So with these new higher interest rates, how much is it likely to hurt and who will be hurt the most? Well, the Resolution Foundation, a UK-based think tank, have analysed the situation using data from the Office for National Statistics Wealth and Assets Survey. According to their report, there are nearly 11 million mortgaged homes in Britain, but some are buy-to-let properties or second homes. 
The Resolution Foundation decided to exclude these from its analysis. That leaves 7.5 million owner-occupied mortgaged homes, or 30% of British households, who are impacted. Another 35% of British households own their homes outright without a mortgage, and the remainder are renting private or social housing. So 30% of households, which is a sizable minority of the population, will be feeling the squeeze in terms of cash flows as rates have gone up. If high rates persist and put pressure on housing prices, then 65% of households will be impacted. But most of these homeowners will have bought their homes at substantially lower prices than today, so won't be underwater. As we discussed earlier, almost all British mortgages are fixed for either two or five years. So if you fixed your rate for five years back in 2020, you won't be feeling the pinch of rising interest rates until 2025. Because rates have gone up quite quickly, most people haven't been hit with the 6% mortgage interest rate just yet. Now, every month, hundreds of thousands of fixed-rate mortgages expire, and hundreds of thousands of households have to go looking for a new deal in this new higher interest rate environment. The press have been referring to this as a time bomb, but there is no sudden explosion like a bomb. This is much more of a slow creeping situation. Mortgage resets won't happen to everyone all at once, and it will take a few more years till every borrower is feeling the pinch. The Resolution Foundation analyzed the five-year period from the end of 2021 to the end of 2026, a period in which everyone who has a mortgage will find themselves exposed to the new world of higher interest rates. Half of the 7.5 million mortgage-bearing households have already come off of their fixed rate or were on a variable rate mortgage with no locked period when the Bank of England started raising rates. So they have already felt the squeeze. The other half will reset in the next three and a half years. Some of the people already impacted will not have liked the rates they got when they rolled their mortgages, but those rates will be lower than the rates that people are getting right now. The report argues that for British borrowers, around three-fifths of the pain is still to come. The foundation estimates that total payments at the end of that five-year period will be £16 billion per year higher than they were in 2021, before the Bank of England began hiking rates. On a per-mortgager household basis, that works out to around £2,000 each, or around £170 per month of increased cost. Back in 1989, more people, almost 40% of households, owned a home with a mortgage, but the increase in repayments was around £1,200 in today's money for the typical mortgager. So back then, pain was less severe than is expected in the pipeline today, but it was more widespread. All of this is, of course, based on market expectations, which are frequently wrong. And millions of UK borrowers are obviously hoping that things don't turn out as is projected in this report. The interest rate squeeze will, of course, be distributed differently through society depending on the size of an individual's mortgage and the size of their income. 
borrowers who haven't paid off much of their mortgage, who have borrowed large amounts relative to their income, can be expected to take a bigger proportional hit. For borrowers under the age of 35, the hit from higher repayments is expected to be around 4.5% of their income today, which compares to around 2.5% for those aged 55 and older. Now, if there is enough of a squeeze, young people who haven't yet bought a home might get the chance to buy at a lower price point than today, as people who can't keep up with the new higher payments begin to sell. In other bad economic news, Britain's public sector net debt surpassed 100% of GDP in May as borrowing came in higher than expected according to the Office for National Statistics. This is the first time that debt stood above 100% of GDP since 1961, although it was temporarily recorded as passing that threshold during the pandemic before being revised lower. The rise came after public sector net borrowing reached £20 billion for May, £10.7 billion more than in the same month last year, largely because of the cost of social security benefits and energy support schemes. This high level of debt will limit the government's ability to do anything to help borrowers in the run-up to the election. I'm not sure that you could call this the bright side, but the higher mortgage rates that people are facing right now are less of a financial stability issue than they looked like they would be six months ago when higher mortgage rates came packaged with a forecasted spike in utility bills. In such a situation, non-discretionary spending for the average British household would be at an unmanageable level for a relatively large number of households. While borrowers face higher costs right now, this hasn't yet translated into mass repossessions. Just 1,250 mortgaged properties were repossessed in the first three months of this year, which is 50% up on the prior quarter, but compared to the numbers that lost their homes in the early 1990s, the historic peak of repossessions, it barely registers. A key difference between the early 1990s and right now is the cushioning effect of housing equity built up over many years of house price growth. Homeowners that have built up equity are under a lot less strain than those in negative equity. Samuel Toombs at Pantheon Economics points out that many British borrowers are extending the term of their mortgage when they refinance their loans right now in order to limit the jump in monthly payments that they're faced with. Toombs points out that almost all mortgage lenders are now willing to lend for 35-year terms and on the basis of repayments extending until someone is 75 years old, with some, such as Nationwide, willing to lend until the borrower is 85 years old. I'm not sure how many borrowers will be able to continue earning into their advanced years, however. Many borrowers are likely to extend the terms of their loans in order to avoid cutting their spending too much or facing repossession, and banks are likely to favour that outcome too, rather than dealing with mass defaults. A lot of things can happen in the future that are not in the current projections, but one way or another, harder times appear to be on the horizon in the UK until inflation is brought under control.
Thanks for tuning into today's podcast. If you have a friend who might find it interesting, I'd appreciate you sending them a link. A special thanks to my Patreon supporters who make these podcasts possible. Have a great week and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.